My name is Vince Larson, uh, one of the pastors here, and just got back from New York City, barely made it back. Storm Hercules came through, and the airport was shut down until the day we left, and then it opened up, and it was 20 degrees that day, and by the time we got at the airport taken off, it was negative 7, and then it closed down the next day. So we, like, hit the window perfectly, which is awesome, and so I'm glad to be here. Surprised at how much energy and effort I put into eating <laughs> over the holidays. They say we gain an average of eight pounds. I, I was going for triple that. I'm not sure if I quite got there. I know this because all of my stories from the trip center around food <laughs> the entire time we were there. Um, in fact, I'll share one with you. Uh, whether or not it has anything to do with the sermon, I still need to share it. We were going for our last meal with my wife's family, and we went to this Nice, nice, expensive Italian restaurant that my mother-in-law took us to. And uh, while we're there, um, Gavin, like halfway through the meal, my, my little two-year-old, he decides to get really irritable, which never happens with two-year-olds. And so it was really rare. And I thought, what is, what is bothering him? And all of a sudden, partway through the meal, he sneezes. Achoo! And I look over, get ready, like, for those of you with weak stomachs, just close your ears. I look over, and there's a little yellow here. And I go to, you know, be dad, get it out. And it, it's hard, and it keeps coming out. And there was a noodle. He sneezed a noodle out of his nose. Yes, spaghetti nose Gavin. So my prayer for you today in this series is that you will have a clear picture of what it means to live out your faith and be a disciple and that any noodles will be removed from your nose. If there's any discomfort, anything going on in your faith, you're like, I don't know, something just feels a little off. That as we go back through, I had to work the story in somehow. It was too awesome. I have a picture of it for after if anybody wants to see the noodle. But in order to examine our faith, we're going back through the basics of our faith. And um, the other day, somebody said, basics, didn't we do that series before? And I, I said, yeah, but um, as, as a reason why we're doing it, for, for all the football fans out there, um, anybody ever heard of a guy named Vince Lombardi? Yeah, pretty famous guy, Green Bay Packers coach. Um, my dad said I was named after him, Vince, not Lombardi, Vince. And... Um, every year, I mean, the guy was like one of the best coaches in NFL history. He had three straight Super Bowl wins, did a three-peat at the Super Bowl, and five Super Bowls in a seven-year period. I mean, the guy was, was pretty awesome. But one of the secrets to his success is that every season he had to take all these individuals and prima donnas and, you know, superstar players and break them down and build them together as a team, as a cohesive unit. And so one of the stories is every year at preseason, he would get all the guys together and he would hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football, right? We're going back to the basics in order to all get on the same page, right? And this, this series is kind of like preseason training. We're going back to the basics of our faith. So here's a question for you to think about. And then I'm going to read a couple of passages of scripture and we're going to dive in question I want you to think about is this. Why are you saved? Why are you saved? 
Let's dive in. We're going to read two scriptures. Acts 1, Matthew 28. Very familiar passages. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And it says, After his death, Jesus showed himself to them and proved in many ways that he was alive. The apostles saw Jesus during the 40 days after he was raised from the dead, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he told them not to leave Jerusalem. He said, Wait here to receive the promise from the Father which I told you about. John baptized people with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when the apostles were all together, they asked Jesus, Lord, what are, are you now going to give the kingdom back to Israel? Jesus said to them, the Father is the only one who has the authority to decide dates and times. These things are not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. Say power. power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and in every part of the world. And then Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Of course, Judas, Judas had died, the twelfth disciple at this point. To the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus said to them, all authority. Say authority. authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts, challenge us, cause us to walk away from here changed and transformed by your word and by the power of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Why are you saved? The answer to that question will dictate what your faith actually looks like in the day-to-day. Whether you just go to church on Christmas and Easter or go to church on Sundays or you volunteer at the homeless shelter or help tutor underprivileged kids or you struggle with rigorous moral performance to be good, whatever your life looks like reveals the reason you believe you were saved. And I don't know what your answer is or, or what you arrived at or what answer you grew up with to that question. But as an example, I'll tell you the answer I grew up with. Um, a lot of people, actually, I share this experience with, have, have the same reason they think they were saved. And that was salvation was essentially afterlife insurance, right? You get the cost-benefit analysis of heaven or hell, and you get to choose. Which one? Which one would you like, you know? Well, I'll take heaven, you know, and that's salvation. And that's, that's kind of the end of it. In fact, um, my, my dad was telling me a story about an old tent preacher, tent, tent revival preacher. And he, the tent revival preacher was apparently talking to my dad and said, um, I wish I could have a baseball bat when I gave an altar call at the tent revivals. Why do you wish you had a baseball bat? Yeah. So that when people gave their heart to Christ and were going to heaven, I could clobber them over the head and make sure they didn't go and backslide and end up in hell. <laughs> Which is pretty bad theology, right? It was like, 
That's his theory, his version of like eternal security, I guess, you know, like Louisville Slugger style. Make sure they're going to heaven. But if we, if we answer that, you know, the reason why we're saved is to go to heaven, then you have to ask the question, why are we still here? Well, to answer that, we have to define salvation, which I won't spend a lot of time on because Tom did an excellent job, and Zach, last week, preparing and preaching that sermon. And he reminded us about this gospel power. Gospel power. That Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God to save you, to save your your whole life. And it's not just about the afterlife. That's part of it. But it's about your relationships, your finances. God wants to save you from your addictions and from your struggles. Every part of of your life that results from disbelief and disobedience, known as, known as sin. And there's good news. The good news is that God is he's completely aware of your sin problem. Right? But because of the work of Jesus Christ, He accepts you and transforms you by the power of His Holy Spirit living in you. Amen? Amen. It's a salvation life. It's a process. Like that verse says, from faith for faith, the righteous live by faith. I, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. It's wiped clean. Everything I've ever done or will do is forgiven at the cross. Right? And I'm still being saved from the present or the, the power of sin's work in my life. Every day as God sanctifies me and, and saves me. This little part of my life and that little part, and I come to deeper faith in Him and I will be saved. I have this it's hope that I will be saved from the presence of sin. And one day we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Amen. So because of the gospel, right now you're experiencing salvation. Right here, right now. And it affects every area of your life. It's like what Luther said was, Summal justice et peccator, which means at the same time I'm a sinner and I'm justified. At this same moment. So we can say, I'm more broken and sinful than I ever dared believe. At the same time, I'm more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope because of Jesus. That's good news. That's the power of God at work. And and it's all God's work. Amen? But there's a danger. As good as that good news is, there's a danger. I know it's shocking. Because the gospel is actually so much more than that also. And if you miss it, you you miss out on what the gospel has to say about you and life and your reason for hope and and purpose. You risk missing out on the life you're craving and the the hope you're chasing and that thing that's bigger than yourself that you dream about living for, the the adventure that we all try to live vicariously through when the new Bond movie comes out. You know, I was reading uh, Purpose Driven Life and Rick Warren said it this way, nothing matters more than knowing God's purposes for your life. Nothing can compensate for not knowing them. Not success, wealth, fame, or pleasure. Without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. There's a danger that if we just focus on the power of the gospel, 
that we can miss out on the bigger picture, the, the purpose, the context, the whole point of the thing. There's a purpose for the power of the gospel. It's the context that gives this part of the good news such depth and wonder. And if you miss it, it's like having a noodle in your nose. Something is off and you just don't know what. And if we stop there without the gospel power, without exploring the purpose of the gospel, I've seen even in my own life, the gospel can become just another self-help tool to help me self-actualize and become the best person I can be. If we stop there where it's just the power of God unto salvation, the message can just focus on how God in His gracious love got me off the hook. And it can become all about me and what God has done and is doing and will do for me. It leads to like a self-centered Christianity. I don't know about you, but I've experienced that time and time again. Someone once said, it's the job of the preacher to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So I'm not sure which camp you fall into today, but either way, I believe that the word of God is going to speak to you. The gospel is not all about us. But I believe at some points, every one of our hearts have twisted it into that. I don't know. I think maybe that's how in the West we ended up with a kind of an epidemic of consumer churchianity so to speak, you know, the Christianity that's about the time card on Sundays and, and um, making sure that, that we, there's three songs and hopefully a short sermon because there's a Charger game, you know. But there is a Charger game, so I'm going to try to keep it short. <laughs> I'm just saying, there might be something there. Maybe, maybe if I'm not busy, too busy, I'll give some of my time to the church, some of my leftover finances or time, energy for God's work. And maybe, just maybe, I'll invite someone if conditions are perfect. It's Wednesday for any Flight of the Concord fans. Self-centered Christianity and self-centered view of the gospel, that's, that's how we miss it. And I don't want to offend you today when I say this, but the gospel is not all about you. And don't get me wrong, there's an element that's personal. We sang it today, Jesus loves me. This I know, Right? But there's so much more. And you need the purpose and the depth and the context. Without context, things don't always make sense. You ever, you ever hear a joke out of context? The other night, Kenny, Kenny reminded me of Dumb and Dumber. Which, quick plug, Dumb and Dumber 2 is coming out. So, in case you weren't aware of that. There's that moment in Dumb and Dumber where he's dreaming. And, and he's sitting around with the family around the fireplace. And they all have their Christmas sweaters on. And he says, it just focuses in, and he says, do you love me, I said? And she said, no, but that's a really cool ski mask. And everybody goes, ah, ha, 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 ha. And he grabs the peanuts and throws them in his face. And you're like, what is going on? How is that funny? You need context to make sense of things and interpret information. Why were you saved? What is the context of your salvation? Gospel power is unto salvation, but it's not just power to you, it's power through you. It's power for the purpose of God, for His work and mission and calling on your life. God is at work redeeming the whole world, and He's called us to be part of that. Thy kingdom come, Jesus prayed. Thy will be done. The gospel power is placed within the context of the gospel purpose. And just as your story only makes sense within the greater context of God's story, and narrative. God's power only makes sense within His plan and His purpose. 
There's a lot more history that's happened before you and I showed up, isn't there? Chances are there's probably going to be a lot, a lot more that happens after we pass off the scene. God is telling a story. And our stories are all a part of it. And the gospel is the story of his, his entrance into human history and his choice to take on our problem firsthand. It's, it's the story of his promise to rescue and renew creation and fully restore the beauty that we see lying all around us in broken fragments as we walk down the streets of downtown and, and uptown San Diego. To heal the pain that, that even we've caused to him and to ourselves and to others when we chose to walk away and disbelieve his love and his promises. It's that, that, that narrative we talk about a lot, creation and fall and redemption and restoration. And there's this promise that's left hanging in the air that one day it will all be made right. Everything, every wrong ever done, every broken promise and hurtful word, every evil act done against you or by you, every selfish brokenness moment, every destructive thing, this too will be made right. The gospel is the story of God, and you and I are all a part of it. God got you off the hook for your good and for his glory, but also to be free to do something bigger and better than you were doing before. Amen. To become a participator in the divine nature, Scripture says. To become an emissary of his love and good news. To, to become a minister of reconciliation. Everybody say, I'm a minister. I'm a minister. Cool. I love it, man. You guys, you're with it. There was even two hands. You're like, love it. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. God has good news purpose that's larger than you and I that he's called you and I into. To put your hands to the good works he has in store for you. And I know we weren't saved by good works, amen? amen. But we were saved for good works. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved. Not, this, is, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. And then it goes on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were saved by God's work for God's work. You were saved by God's grace to share God's grace. You were saved by His mercy to distribute mercy, by, by His love to model that love, to be a picture of His love to a broken and hurting world. You were saved by His redeeming work to display His redeeming work in your life. You've been given time and life to give your time and life. I could go on and on. Reconciled to be reconcilers. Forgiven to become forgivers. Given peace with God to become peacemakers. You're blessed to be a blessing. But there's a second danger, danger, and that is that we'll focus so much on the purpose, the mission, this whole thing that God has called us into that we lose sight of its power. It's both, right? 
There's two lenses, the power and the purpose. If you study theology at seminary, the, there's, there's basically two schools of thought on theology, generally speaking, their approaches. The main one is systematic theology, right, where you study, study a topic like faith, and you go through the whole Bible systematically, and you talk about faith through the whole Bible. So it's a thematic approach to life and, and God and what he's doing. And then there's another approach called narrative theology, which is the story of God. And that's something we do a lot here at the church with no name as of yet. Right? We do a lot. I, I think, are we going to announce the name today? All right. So I don't have to say that anymore. Stay tuned. Now everybody's mind just went totally off course, right? But which one's better? Systematic theology, narrative theology? Both. They're, they're both amazing. they and if you want a great resource on this, Dallas Willard wrote Divine Conspiracy. The first chapter is great on this. One gospel, but we have two lenses, two ways of viewing it, the gospel power and the gospel purpose. You ever try to look through one side of binoculars? It doesn't work well, right? No. But together, it's just it's awesome if you can get the focus right with that little thing in the middle. I don't even know what it's called. I have a friend, Michael Lee. He owns a salon downtown, and... Due to an unfortunate accident, he lost about 80% of sight in his, in his right eye. So now he can't cut hair anymore. So he owns the salon, but he doesn't, you know, do any haircutting. He teaches and, and does all kinds of other stuff. But I asked him, I was like, dude, what's it like living with that? He says, you know what sucks about it is you lose depth perception. That's why I can't cut somebody's hair. You know, I might just go in the back of their neck. I'm like, you're never cutting my hair. That's why it's so long right now. Yeah. And you have that, right? You have groups that just focus on the power of the gospel to save. And church is all about saving souls, pulling them from the fire of hell. Which, guess what? That is true. We're not downplaying that. But then you have these other groups that's all about the purpose of the gospel. You know, the social gospel. We're going to go out, we're going to feed the poor, we're going to change the world. And in some senses, they almost just throw the baby out with the bathwater and don't even focus on saving people's souls and what God wants to do in their greatest need. There's separation from Him. And it's all about good works. But what we want here is two lenses on the same thing. That the gospel is both of these. And we see this in one of the most ancient texts of Scripture, the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12. God's talking to Abraham. Anybody remember what God tells Abraham in the covenant? Make you a father of many nations. Yeah, what else? You'll be a blessing. Yeah, what else does he say? And through you, I'll bless the whole world. It's blessed to be a blessing. Make your name great, right? Good. And then he says, he says, I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. So there's this huge, this huge two-sided thing to that, to that covenant that God makes with Abraham. And one of the greatest perversions in Christianity and Judaism is taking one side and leaving the other. Right? You've got one side that it's all about Abraham. You'll be blessed. I will make your name great. Right? It's pretty cool. I'll take that. But through you, you will become a blessing to all nations. You're blessed to be a blessing. I'll work, I'll work through you. All nations, all people in the world will be blessed through you. So I will bless you. Why? For you to be a blessing. I will make your name great. Why? Because all nations will be blessed through you. Abraham was blessed by God. Think about, what were some of the ways Abraham was blessed by God? When you think back on the story of God. 
What's that? He had, yeah, he had a son. In their old age, a promised son when they couldn't have children. It's a pretty big blessing, especially in that time. Somebody to pass your riches on to. Yeah, what else? There was like three things. It was awesome. What was it? Yes, yes. Lots of tasty animals, right? Yeah, his wife was very hot. The Egyptian pharaoh wanted her for himself, yeah? Yeah. What else? Blessings, yeah? He had a pretty thick portfolio. Yeah. Abraham, he had a personal relationship with God, right? Scripture calls him the friend of God. Blessed to be a blessing. But it wasn't just for Abraham to like hoard those blessings. Like look in the mirror and like, yeah, you're pretty awesome, dude. You know, your wife is hot. (laughs) You've got an awesome portfolio, more camels than anybody, you know. Think of the ways he could have tried to wrap God's blessings around him. But he was called and blessed and protected by God to be a blessing. He was given God's power for God's purpose to bless the world. To be a covenant people who through their very lives would show the world God's ways. Give people a foretaste of hope. To point people to God and bring God glory. You were saved by God's work for God's work. The gospel power is always placed within the context of the gospel purpose. And everything else makes sense within his story. And without that, we end up with a disproportionate view of ourselves within the story. Purpose of the gospel. And remember what we said, how a lot of people come to Christ out of radical self-interest? You know, the cosmic cost-benefit analysis? Try reversing it, though. Instead of saying, God came here with saving love for me, and then gave me the church so I would have a family and become like Christ easier. And, and he gave me a mission, so felt important. I don't know. It's, I know you never think like that, but imagine someone who would, who would do that, right? And then, Anyway, and reverse that. Flip that around and say, imagine for a minute that the gospel is all about God and his saving love for the world. So he gives the world his people, the children of Abraham in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, to serve the world and be on mission and point people to him. And then he calls you and I to be a part of that. That puts things in a different perspective, doesn't it? There's a perspective switch that happens when we see things in light of the gospel and God's story. Why do you believe God saved you? What you do in your life, how you live is going to reflect So how do we do this? Gospel power is motivation for God's purpose. In the scripture, we read two main texts. Acts 1.8, Matthew 28.18. What happens? Well, Jesus essentially gives his last words, doesn't he? How many of you guys know last words carry a lot of weight? I remember my uncle, uh, Pastor David Gray, he passed, passed away. I was about 15. And they called me into his room, um, all alone, me and my uncle, he was a prolific author and church founder and just a genius, you know. Um, and, and he called me and he said, Vince, I've got, they said, Vince, he's got something to tell you. So I walked in and said, hey, Uncle David, how, how you doing? And he just looked at me and he said, son, beware of the red pins. <laughs> and he went to sleep. And so apparently he was really drugged up and I walked away wondering what in the world that meant. (laughs) For years, I've struggled. So if any of you ever have an interpretation for me, come let me know. 
Cosmic bowling. There you go. Yeah. So it carried it carried such weight that it like threw me into confusion for like a year. I was like, red pens. What the world? I walked out and like just kind of walked to my car. Like, what are we talking about here? But Jesus gives them his last words and their instructions, and they're pretty important. It's the gospel purpose, and he says, do this. He says, be disciples who make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God to fill the whole earth. Jesus says, I have all authority, and now I'm giving you authority to do this, this divine gospel mandate. And he tells them, I'm giving you the power of the Holy Spirit. Hurry up and wait. Run to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't go make disciples until you have it. He gives them the authority and the power to make disciples. I met last night. We were at a wedding and um, a wedding reception uh, for for um, John and Valerie, and I got to meet a police detective. And at first, they said they, somebody who introduced me to them said that this was John and Valerie's dance instructors. So I walked up to them and I said, "Hey, it's so nice." To meet you, dance instructors, do you guys give lessons? And he looks and he goes, no, she's a dance instructor. I'm a cop. I felt really dumb, right? And I, the first thing out of my mouth, cool, can I see your badge, right? Because I'm a kid. <laughs> Still. And, but, but, you know, you've got the badge. All cops have the badge and the gun, right? And you've got the authority and the power to back it up. Let me ask you something. What good is the gun without the authority to back it up? You're, you're a criminal. You're not doing, obeying the law. And then what good is the, the badge without the gun on a drug boss? Oh, it's in the name of the law. You know? But Jesus gives us the authority and the power to live out this mission. If you are a Christ follower, that is what your life is about. Your mission, your purpose, your whole life, everything else is about that. So your job. I need a job to feed me and give me time and a location and a place, a people group to make disciples who make disciples to fill the, fill the glory of God in the whole earth. I raise a family to paint a picture of the gospel and raise my children as disciples who make disciples for the glory of God to fill the whole earth. I attend church gatherings to, to be encouraged and remind myself of my purpose in life now is to make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God to fill the whole earth. I live in a radical community to become a better disciple and help others grow daily as we work together on God's mission to make disciples who make disciples. Anybody with me? Yes. For the glory of God to fill the whole earth. Like Augustine, Augustine wrote this in the city of God, that we live as a new city in the middle of a broken and hurting old city around us, giving a preview, like a, like a movie trailer, of what the glorious city one day will be like. Why? As people look into that city, they see hope, and through us they see Christ, which enables us to make disciples, make disciples, to fill the world with God's glory. Maybe before your life was about Girlfriends and boyfriends and friends with benefits, but now my life is about making disciples. I wanted to make a lot of money and retire early and travel around the world vacationing, but now I'm trying to make enough money to travel around the world, living out this mission, even on vacation, to make disciples. And immediately there's several responses in our hearts. One, yes! 
That is what my life is about, or that is what my life has been missing. I am on that, Vinny, as they call me in New York. I want a mission bigger than me by someone who loves me more than I love myself and knows what will leave me more joyful and fulfilled than anything else. He's the, he's the author of my story. He knows what I really need and want. I want to challenge you. If that's the cry of your heart, yes. That after we pray to walk to communion table and, and commit yourself again to, to the resting, resting in the power of the gospel and submitting to God's plan for your life and listening to the Holy Spirit. What, what's next, Holy Spirit? What would you have me change in my life in order to live out your mission? Or maybe, maybe your answer is no. Like, no, heck no. No. No way. I love my life, right? I think what you're saying is really kind of a twist on Scripture. Like, it, it, it's fine to just kind of go to church and be, be part of it. You know, the, the mission is just kind of being religious and being a better person. Versus this radical message. Or maybe you're like, nah, I, I have a license to live how I see fit and find my life. And I don't want to lose my life and the goals that I think will bring me happiness and fulfillment. Following God into some mysterious adventures that he has planned for me, that's, that's not really for me. Maybe your response is undecided. I just want to challenge you. If your response right now, what's going on in your heart is like, no, or maybe later. I want to challenge you today to pray that God opens your eyes and lets you see His love for you. That you will see His love for you and never, ever be the same. That you will run headlong into this thing. Because when you come into contact with His love, you realize He's not just trying to get you to do a chore for Him that He's not willing to do Himself, right? A, He was willing. And He did the work, right? He had the true gospel motivation. Why? Out of love. Love for the world, love for you and I. And B, he's not pressing you into some mold that will ruin your life or ruin the life that you long for. He's graciously freeing you from the lies that you've been believing, from the false realities that you've been hoping in. It's that moment where Neo takes the red pill, right? And and we see the world for what it is and priorities flip. And what once was valuable seems, seems worthless in this new kingdom. What once fueled our life has lost its power, right? And life is as it should be. So Jesus wants you to see him and his love for you and his love for the world. So today I pray that your eyes will be open. I'm going to pray over you as the musicians come. And um, as we prepare to go and take communion, we pray over you. Father, we thank you so much that this is your work. It's your work from start to finish just as it's your story. And you saved us by your grace when we could do nothing to save ourselves. Now you are graciously sanctifying us by your power, Holy Spirit, at work in our daily life. And one day we have a hope that we'll be free once and for all. Help us to remember that we are your disciples. And now, Holy Spirit, you're doing the work, leading us and guiding us into all truth applying God's word to our lives and hearts. Remind us that it isn't our job to go out today and change the world and make disciples with our own talents, with our own cunning minds and and shrewd words. But I pray, I pray, God, that we don't hear go do today, but we hear believe. Be in Christ. Rest in him. Abide. 
Be full of the Holy Spirit who is at work in the world. Holy Spirit, will you lead us and guide us and gift us and instruct us? I pray that we will remember this mission is not our burden, but that you're going to accomplish it. That you are getting the job done, but you want to use us and fulfill our lives in the process. The burden of mission is God's, and the blessing of mission is ours. Amen. One final thing as you, as you go, don't forget what Tom preached last week. The gospel power, God's work on your behalf that saved you by his work alone for his work alone. Because if you forget that, then the gospel purpose will crush you. The purpose of the gospel to go out and, and be something bigger than yourself and join in God's work will destroy you. It is only by the power of God that we can do this. So I, I, I encourage you as you go take communion in the front of the back that take some time to remember that, that that wine represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you to forgive you for every area of your life that you failed to trust in the gospel and in his saving work. And that that, that bread represents the righteous life that Christ lived in his flesh for you that he made up the difference and that you can't do this by your power so trust him find yourself in him amen I want to encourage you as we sing to go ahead and get up with your missional community or or a family member and go down and take communion one in the back and one in the front and focus and pray together on what God would have you do next amen